You're listening to Ask Dr. E, where Dr. Michael Easley answers your biblical and theological questions in 10 minutes or less. Here's today's question. I have been studying the different dispensations for a while now and seem to get caught up in Ephesians 1.10, where in the KJV, it renders the word dispensation, where in the NASB, it is administration. What is the correct rendering of this word? And does dispensationalism have a place for study and application here in 2020? Well, I want to, I want to commend John. Kudos for you for reading that carefully. Ephesians 1.10 to me is a critical verse for so many issues. But yes, when we talk about dispensationalism or the administration, uh, the organization of God's timing. Now, let me say this, and I have a lot of friends that are, that are very reformed. Uh, some of my very reformed friends really don't like that I am a dispensationalist. And I will tell people, I don't like the categorization of dispensationalism because the way it's caricatured. Mm-hmm. And I read some articles just to kind of brush up on what what are people saying about us today? And of course, I, you know, I read things, that's not what I was taught. Let's say this, any form of theology, covenant, reformed, dispensational, use those three terms, is a presupposition of the way we look at the Bible. And even within covenant and reformed theology, there are very different takes on things. Okay. I am a dispensationalist because, as I understand it, it's a theological system Mm -hmm. of looking at the Bible through a biblical hermeneutic. Mm -hmm. Big words. Now, we talk about systematic theology, uh, process theology, um, biblical theology is where I like to land. I want the Bible to render my theology. Not Even though my friend Wayne Grudem, who I love dearly and I agree with him on many things, he wrote a systematic theology. And my word, if you could write one, he could do it. Right. Let's look up every reference of the word God and try to systematize it. Yeah. It's a massive job. So systematic approaches have their strengths and weaknesses. Biblical theology, not to sound arrogant or like it's the only way, I want the Bible to render the organization of theology, not a system. Now, let's talk about dispensationalism and the broader stroke. There are seven, there are 11, there's all kinds of numbers. I look at the simplest law, grace, and kingdom. There was a time of law, Mm -hmm. there's a time of grace, and there will be a time of kingdom. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the accusations about dispensationalists are there's different ways people got saved in different dispensations. Mm -hmm. And that is a mischaricature, at least the way I was taught. Mm -hmm. The way I was taught was uh, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as yeah, righteousness. His faith justified him. That's yeah. before the law. Right. That's, you know, the Abraham is chosen out of Ur of the Chaldees to be the father of the Jewish nation and to be a blessing to the world, all the ethnos. Yeah. So salvation was the same in Abram's time and Abraham's time as it is today. So this notion that we get saved differently, I think, is uh, not necessarily an adequate or accurate reflection Mm -hmm. of the way dispensationalism is taught. Some of the areas where I get hung up is I think the literal view of scripture is more important sometimes than the allegorization. And again, depending on where people are on the reformed covenant spectrum, they may say, well, I don't agree with that. or I do agree with that. For example, I believe Israel and the church are distinct. Mm -hmm. So the promises God made to the Abrahamic, covenant unilateral they're not going to be broken or changed are going to happen uh the rainbow is a unilateral covenant no more global flood yep so we have noahic we have the new covenant 
yep. is unilateral. Every other covenant, as far as I can remember, is bilateral. Yes. If then. Right. If you do this, then I'll do that. Mosaic covenant, of course, that all those things were broken by people. But Abrahamic, uh, Noahic, the rainbow Abrahamic, and the new covenant cannot be broken. So when you look at these words, and it's easy to kind of run them together. I have friends in my past who say, well, you know, Israel doesn't matter because the church took the place of Israel. Mm-hmm. And I, I understand how they get there. I just think Romans 9, 10, and 11 argue very strongly that Israel still plays a part. Mm-hmm. I think Deuteronomy 30, you'd have to take it out of the Bible mm. if you think Israel doesn't matter. So there are a number of passages I'm, I'm teaching through this big book cover to cover. I'm struck how many times the land, the land, the land, yeah. all through the Old Testament, even yeah. the minor prophets is an important part of God's program. So I think there's a differentiation between those. Now, is Israel today Israel? Of course not. I don't know who Israel is today, but I still think it's part of God's program. And I'm not left to try to figure out, okay, they're true Israelites and they're not. That's right. not my job. Right. But I think the church is unique. It's not one. And then the the kingdom age, uh, I do believe in a literal thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. In fact, one of the questions we're going to talk about in a minute is about the tribulation. But I do think there's a literal thousand-year reign where Christ comes down. Norman Geisler was one of my professors, and I remember we had a whole class on dispensationalism 100 years ago. And he gave this overview of each of the dispensations. And if memory serves, he held the seven, but I'm not positive. But he said, look at it this way. Um, He told Adam, which is called the Edemic Dispensation, uh, don't eat the fruit. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to do, just don't eat that one piece of fruit. And what did he do? He ate it. Right. So Adam's complaint to God would be, well, God, you didn't explain to me what was really going to happen sure. if I did that. So God says, all right, all right, I'll give you another chance. Here's what. Here's the law. Here's a million. <laughs> well, it starts out manageable. It starts out 10, <laughs> 10. and a few, a few uh, uh, other uh, qualifications on that. And they can't do it. And they go, well, wait a minute. You have to give somebody to teach us what these mean. Okay. Okay. I'll give you prophets. Yep. Okay. They came. Well, you don't listen to them. Yep. You kill them. Yep. Well, wait a minute. You didn't explain to us if we didn't follow the prophets, what was going to happen to us. Okay. I'll tell you what. I'll give you priests and I'll give you kingdoms and I'll give you all these things to help you understand that. And of course, what do they do? They keep violating, keep breaking. So man is continually arguing to God. You didn't explain the ramifications of this. So finally they say, you know what? You didn't come down here and show us what it means to live this Christian life. Okay. Incarnation of Jesus Christ. They kill him. Well, they say, now you didn't come and reign as a literal king because we thought you were going to be a literal king and reign the world. And Jesus says, well, you know what? That's part of my plan. Mm -hmm. And one day I'll be on that throne for a thousand years. And even then you won't believe crazy so i'm just saying it's, it's anecdotal that's not a very good way of explaining the dispensationalism it's anecdotal to say each of the objections man might have and that was geisler's illustration to why dispensationalism had some biblical weight mm-hmm. because you could look back on these things but to the idea that i don't think we're saved in different uh, t- different ways yeah i do think the old testament believer knew more about biblical theology than we give them credit for uh-huh. i think the pious jew perhaps knew more than the modern day Christian does about salvation Probably, and yes. forgiveness and sanctification. I, I truly, and I think they understood Messiah better uh-huh. even than, than we do sometimes. So I would fall in line with what's called classic dispensationalism with Charles Ryrie and, and Charlie Dyer and some of these people. All that to say, 
dispensationalism is a way of doing a hermeneutic. It's a way of looking at the Bible. Uh-huh. It's not what I'm going to live and die for as right. a dispensationalist. Another friend of mine says, you know, I'm reformed when it comes to soteriology, as am I. But I'm not reformed when it comes to eschatology, okay. which I agree. Yeah. So these categories, as attractive as they are, become cumbersome when you say you have to lock, stock, and barrel yeah. be a covenant, reformed, dispensational, yeah. whatever. Yeah. So a way to further study and understand the Bible, but not something that is like a tier one. You've got to figure this out for your personal salvation and relationship with Jesus. Is that fair? I think it's very fair. And and if you want to study it, Bible.org has a number of really good articles in there. There's one by John Walvert that overviews. And then there's a little book uh, by Charles Ryber called Basic Theology. You could probably even just search online and find a chapter on what is dispensationalism. And that's not going to solve all your questions, but it will give you an idea, I think, a, a more fair representation of what dispensationalism is and isn't. And again, Reformed theology and Covenant theology has some hard questions as well, uh, whether they're amillennial or, you know, they don't believe in a rapture, these type of things. There's different nuanced parts of that. Some do, some don't. So it gets kind of gummy. But at the highest level, I would call myself a three dispensation believer. Uh, there was a time of law, first law of Adam, all the way through the law of Moses. There's the time of grace mm-hmm. when Jesus comes and introduces grace. And there's a time of kingdom. You're saved the same way, mm-hmm. but we're not governed in the same way. We're mm-hmm. not governed by the Old under Testament the law. Uh-huh. We're not governed under the time of grace the same way we will be in the kingdom, for example. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's a way of doing theology. If you've got a question for Ask Dr. E, call us or text us at 615-281-9694, or you can email us at question at michaelincontext.com. We would love to hear from you. Ask Dr. E is a production of Michael Easley in Context. The music for this show is composed by Jason Germain, and you can find more biblical resources at michaelincontext.com.